this series that we're doing on Sunday night, we are looking at living life between the two advents. The first advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second advent. And we know that there were many things that had been foretold in the Old Testament about this coming Messiah. Hundreds of passages that foretold this one that would come. And uh, as we look at his first coming, we would expect, we would, as many people did, that when he came, all these things would come to fruition. But uh, Jesus said, no, he's going to go away, but he's going to come back again. And so there, is many, there are many things that are not yet fulfilled with regard to these things concerning Christ. So we are living in between those two advents. And uh, we are also as sometimes it's called, we're living between the already and the not yet. He's already come, uh, but he's coming again. His kingdom is, in one sense, has come, but it's going to come uh, in the future as well. And so this is the time in which we find ourselves living. We have looked at Jesus and uh, the already and not yet of sin and redemption. Uh, We do not have the fullness of our redemption from our sin. Yes, we're forgiven, Our sins have separated us uh, from us as far as the east is from the west, uh, but we still struggle with sin. There's still the presence of sin, the remaining corruption that is in us. But thanks be to God that there is coming a day when Christ comes, and it will not be with regard to sin in terms of making an end to sin, but bringing in the fullness of our salvation. Last week, we looked at the serpent crusher. And uh, Christ came, and in a real sense, at Calvary, he struck the death blow to Satan, and yet he's going to come again and finally, ultimately cast Satan into hell, an eternal hell. And uh, so he will overcome all of his and our enemies, and Satan is certainly one of those enemies that we have. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but Christ will overcome him and his minions. Tonight we want to speak about, I'd like to speak about the already and the not yet relative to the joy giver. Jesus is the source of true and ultimate joy. We are thankful that God wants us, his people, to know true, abiding, and deep joy in our lives. And this is something that Jesus Christ has won for us. And as we think about this, we, we see in the Old Testament many promises with regard to the one who, who is going to come and he will be a joy giver. When we think about joy, Webster defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospects of possessing what one desires. And so here is this emotion that we have created by God to know joy, to enjoy things that God has made. I think when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, it was that they might enjoy these things. We're told by uh, Paul writing to Timothy that God has given us all things richly to be enjoyed. He's made us to be those who have this emotion of joy and are able to know this. And so the Old Testament saints received promises from God about the coming, about the advent of a Messiah, and associated with his coming, there would be joy. The expectation of his coming uh, would exude joy in the hearts of his people, be the source of joy. 
and uh, we have many passages in the Old Testament that look um, at that. We know that in the garden, when Adam and Eve, our parents, fell, they were separated from the greatest and the best of all beings, God himself, who is the source of joy. And, and what they find and what we find in a fallen world under a curse is that, uh, that joy is something that is fleeting, temporal. Um, but God is the source of ultimate joy. And with Christ, there is a restoring of this quality in the hearts of all those who know him. In Isaiah, in those passages where it talks about Jesus, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. In that context, it talks about this one who will reign and rule forever. And it says, the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Two illustrations, harvest time. It's a joyful time, bringing in the, 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 the harvest and then the spoils of war. These are illustrating times of joy, these metaphors. And so it is with this one who is going to come. He is going to be the source of joy for the people of God. Here in Isaiah 61, here is um, news concerning this one who is going to come, and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And we read in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is putting words. This is is the words of, of the Messiah, the anointed one. So the Spirit is upon this one that is going to come, and here's what he says. He is to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance, of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What a wonderful statements are made here, but among them, he's going to give beauty for ashes. Ashes would be associated with mourning, difficulties, and uh, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Kind of describes the world we live in, isn't it? Heaviness, faint-hearted, mourning, and Here is this one who will come, and there will be joy for mourning. There will be beauty for ashes, the garment of praise. And and so here is this foretelling of this one who will come, and will come into this broken world to bring these and other gifts um, to all who belong to him. We read these words in Jeremiah 31 in the context where it's going to speak about the promise of a new covenant, 
here's a promise uh, of a remnant that after the judgment is going to be brought back together and God will raise up a remnant and their souls shall be like a well-watered garden and they shall sorrow no more at all. I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. And then it talks about this new covenant. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, not like the one in which they, which they broke. I will put my law upon their minds and write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will know me, and I will forgive their iniquity and their sins. I will remember no more. So in connection with this new covenant, the one who will bring in and make this new covenant is this promise, this anticipation that mourning is going to be turned to joy, there will be comfort, and they will rejoice rather than sorrow. Um, And so, again, it is associated with this promised one that is to come. And then a verse I think we're all well familiar with when we think about uh, Palm Sunday, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly. Don't just rejoice, but rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt full of a donkey. So here's the anticipation of this one who's going to come. And with his coming, it should evoke great joy. And so there are these promises that speak about this one who's coming and associated with it, among other things, is great joy. Uh, So the Old Testament is anticipating the joy giver that is to come, and it will be he that will be the source of true and everlasting joy. Now, what do we see when Jesus appears on the scene? We see all kinds of joy, don't we? Um... And this shouldn't surprise us. The whole event is immersed in joy and in rejoicing as we read through the Christmas story and the narrative of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when Elizabeth and Mary, both being pregnant, and they met together. um, And it says, Indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Speaking of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, as she met Mary, says, That baby jumped within me. There is this joy even in this baby in the womb, recognizing in some way what uh, his cousin was all about. And so there was this joy associated with his first meeting. And Mary's response, after she receives this amazing news, she's afraid, and he says, don't be afraid, Mary, you're going to bear a son. It's going to be a virgin birth, virgin conception. You're going to bear a son. He's going to be great. He's going to rule and reign forever. And then we have what's called her Magnificat. And in that Magnificat, she says, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. I rejoice greatly at this news. I am the privileged mother of this promised Messiah, and he is my Savior. Mary was not sinless. Mary needed a savior, and she acknowledges that there. But along with this, she says, my soul exalts 
uh, in the Lord, and I rejoice in God, my Savior. Savior. Um, and then, of course, we know about the shepherds. The shepherds, as they were watching their flock by night, the angel comes and uh, says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. This is a message of good news, and it is a joyful message. And the source of this is in a person, it's in a Savior, it is in this one that is born to, uh, to Mary. Um, certainly material things, and other people can bring joy to us, but here is the source of ultimate joy. It is found in this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we know that with the first coming of Jesus, a lot of things in the Old Testament uh, didn't pan out the way maybe some of them were thinking again uh, because it talks about with the coming of this Messiah that there would be this fullness of joy and sorrows would pass away. So we have passages like Isaiah 35 that speak and say this, strengthen weak hands and made, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fear, uh, fearful, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the deaf shall be unstopped. And then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It'll flee away. Now, if you're reading those and you're looking at the ministry of Jesus Christ, what's he doing? He's opening blind eyes. He's unstopping deaf ears. He's making the lame to walk. And so there would be this expectation that there will be this kind of joy and that all sorrow and sighing is just going to flee away. There will be no more uh, of that. Same thing, Isaiah 65, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So again, this may have well been and probably would have been the expectation with the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we recognize that the world we live in is still fallen. It is still broken. This is not a new heaven. This is not a new earth. This everlasting joy and gladness and sorrow and uh, sorrow uh, and sighing fleeing away, um, we know that's not the case. We still have tears, don't we? Revelation acknowledges that. There is coming a day when he will wipe away every tear, but this is not the time in which we are living right now. We're living between the already and the not yet. But rejoice, your king is coming. He has salvation. The bow, the, bow, uh, the battle bow will be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. But again, we haven't seen that yet. And so Jesus, as he has appeared, as he came in his first coming, we see hopes and indications of what is yet to come.
the blind are being healed, the lame are walking, but these are just appetizers, we might say, a foretaste of what is yet to come, and along with that, that all tears and crying will flee away, but again, that's not the world that we are living in. So, um, so what appeared in the prophetic scriptures, which seemed to be the coming of the Messiah in one, one advent, turns out to be his coming in two advents. But as we think of the coming of Christ, there is joy in his first coming, isn't there? There's joy that has been brought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we enjoy the salvation that he has brought. There is joy that is ours in Christ. But we are looking forward to a day, a final day, when that will be consummated. So there's the not yet of the second advent and this fullness of joy. So Jesus says in Matthew 25, this is the parable uh, in the context of the talents and the faithful servant. And he says this, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So there's a sense in which uh, there'll be a final consummation of that one day. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Revelation 19 looks to such a day. There's this great gathering, a multitude, and uh, they are saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Here is this great celebration, and it is... It is a a time of great gladness and great rejoicing. So we have the already of the first advent. The joy giver has come, but we have the not yet of the second advent. And so we are living now in between those two uh, events. So how are we to live as we live in this world now in, in relationship to this idea of joy? Um, yes, we have joy now, um, but we know that there is suffering. We know that there is often sorrow and sighing. That has not yet been removed, but even in spite of that, we are able to know joy. Um, Christians indeed have a joy, even an abundance of joy that God through Christ has given to us. We have joy, but it is often mingled with sorrow, isn't it? Um, but yet we have this joy. Paul write, or Peter, writing to his first epistle, talks about the fact that we have an inheritance that has been reserved for us. And even now, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though you suffer. Even though you're suffering, you have this promise, this hope, this anticipation, and In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, that you have been grieved by various trials. So joy, but trials. Joy in the midst of trials. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Here is Paul as he's kind of reviewing what it is for him as an apostle, things that he 
has gone through and is going through as he writes this letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we'll just read verse 10. Well, this is a whole catalog again of some of the things he's gone through, imprisonments, being beaten, tumults, labors, so forth. And we get to verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet amazingly possessing all things. Always rejoicing, and yet sorrowful. That's... That's the Apostle Paul. And even Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Right now in this fallen, broken world, there is good reason to be rejoicing as believers. And so in the life of Paul, there is this paradox, suffering yet always rejoicing. And this is really something that we as believers are to strive for as well, to know the joy of the Lord, the abundance of the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. And is this not one of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, joy. God wants us to know a deep, abiding joy, even in the midst of a fallen and broken world. And uh, so this is a present reality for the believer to know this, to experience this. And in many ways, we fight for this, don't we? Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says. And for us, we are to fight the good fight of faith when it comes to this. We do not let our hearts become despondent, discouraged, but that we find the joy that is promised to us in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. John says, I'm writing these things to you that your joy may be full, that you may have a fullness of joy. Isn't it amazing? In, In Acts 16, we read of Paul. He's imprisoned, isn't he? And what is he doing there? I think it's, is it Paul and Silas? They're in prison, stocks. What are they doing? Singing, worshiping. Uh, I think it was John MacArthur, he said, I always liked his comment. He said, I, I think if I'd have been the one chained to Paul, he would have been singing a solo. <laughs> and, uh, but as believers, we are to fight for faith. We're to fight for joy. And we have, we have a sure grounds for that. There, it's not just, you know, a wishful thinking kind of thing. It's a substantive joy that comes from the gospel, from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is something that we indeed must fight for, and we have reason for that. Um, but also, we have the body of Christ to help us, um, to encourage one another as we live in this fallen and this broken world, um, Paul spoke about his ministry as one he has come to give joy, to be a help to the Corinthians and to support them and to encourage them and to bring about joy in their lives. That's part of what he says my ministry is about. 
But as we live, we are also now to live with the expectation of things to come. That we are able to see the bigger picture. We're able to hold to things loosely in this life. To know that there's a new day that is coming when we either, either will go to be with the Lord or the Lord Jesus Christ will come and receive us unto himself. And here are these wonderful words from Psalm 16, verse 11. You show me, you will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And so this, again, is what Christ has won for us. And so we look to the day when he will come again or we will go to be with him and he will make all things new and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. This is our hope. This is what Christ has won for us. And that day will come. Christ has promised that he will come again and bring those things to pass for us. And so as believers, may we encourage one another. Paul says, we are fellow workers for your joy, for your joy. And may we seek to do that for one another because we need it, don't we? And the source of helping us in this joy is the word of God. Psalm 119, 111. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Here's the fertile ground in which joy grows. It's the word of God, the promises of God, who Christ is for us. This is the rejoicing of my heart, says David. And so may we live in this period of time and may we live with joy and look forward to the one who will come. And when we are in his presence, there will be fullness of joy and there will be uh, Fullness of joy, and how's the rest of the verse go? And what? At the right hand, and pleasures forevermore. Okay, time to quit, I guess. Well, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.